Good morning and welcome once again to Bitterrookie Baptist Church's Sunday morning service. It's great to have you with us. It's good to be outside enjoying the sunshine at this time of year. And wherever you happen to be joining us from, a great welcome. It's great to have you with us. So we're going to worship together. You've already listened to some of the playlist, which is which is brilliant. And um, now we're going to spend some time in prayer and then we're going to go into the sermon this morning. And the sermon this morning follows on from uh, some of the things I was speaking about last week, where... We, we touched on the 23rd Psalm and what that might mean for, for us today. We're going to look a little bit more deeply at the 23rd Psalm today. and We're going to consider what it means to dwell in the presence of God. It's something that we spoke about last week and hopefully during this past week it's something that we spent time consciously trying to do. But for anybody who's never heard that phrase before, anybody who's never tried to do that before, then you might be thinking... It sounds lovely, but what does that mean? So today, we're going to take a look at the 23rd Psalm. We're going to take a look at some other scriptures and we're going to explore what it means today to dwell in the presence of God. But before we do that, let's pray and then we'll hear the scripture being read. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that as we, as we gather together, whether we're watching this on Sunday morning or a different time in the week, whether we're going through um, a time where we've got very little to do or whether we're going through a time of absolute chaos, whether we're feeling very happy and relaxed about the way that life is at the moment or whether we're in a pit of despair and anxiety. Father, you know where we are this morning. You know what we're going through and you know all the things that we want to bring to you this morning and to lay down before you so that they don't distract us as we're trying to focus on you, but instead instead they're taken away from us. Instead we can, we can put them to one side and we can focus wholeheartedly on what you're saying to us this morning through your word. So, Father, thank you that we can do that. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for sending your Son into the world to die for us. Thank you for all the good things that you've done for us. And thank you, Lord, that as we're about to explore together, you're a God who welcomes us into his presence. Father, we pray that this morning, as we take, as we take this time out together, we can dwell in your presence. So be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's listen to the 23rd Psalm. Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
So for many of us, that psalm is very familiar. For many people, they may have heard it read at different church services, maybe at funerals. Um, Maybe you'll just recognise the word from the closing credits of the Vicar of Dibley. But it's familiar to so many of us. It's a psalm of of comfort. It's a psalm of reassurance. It's a psalm that, that gives us the opportunity to be reminded of the importance of spending time with God of all the benefits that we can reap from spending time with God, of all the things that God means to us. I know for me, whenever I read this psalm, it always causes me to sort of unconsciously just respond by pausing, by stopping, by relaxing, and just by focusing on the words and the images that it conjures up. This psalm was written by King David. It's a a psalm of David. That's David of David and Goliath fame. Many of you will be familiar with him. And this is a very personal psalm. It was written at a time when when Israel, as as a tribe, had their relationship with God. It was a corporate relationship. And everything had to be done through, through priests and the high priest. Um, there was only um, the, the occasional prophet like Moses who would actually go and dwell in the presence of God. Um, to enter into the presence of God, which, which, was, which was within, um, within the tabernacle, the, 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 the tent that the Israelites set up under God's instruction. To go into the ho- most holy place in the tabernacle you had to be the high priest and you had to have gone through cleansing ceremonies and all sorts of different rituals to prepare you to enter into that place. Anybody who hadn't gone through those, those rituals and the, the, the rites that had to be performed, they met a pretty sudden end as soon as they entered into the presence of God because they were entering a presence which held so much power and so much perfection that no imperfection, i.e. no no person who hadn't been properly cleansed and prepared was allowed to enter. So the fact that David begins this psalm in such a personal note by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, is a significant step. It sends a significant message to the the first readers and to us today, because it serves to remind us that we can walk into a, a massive cathedral and we can be overawed by the sheer size and scope of it. Or we can look around at nature and we can see the, the grand vistas that the world shows us. And we can think, how on earth can I have a personal relationship with a God of this magnitude, of this size? Surely God can't know each and every one of us. But you know what? He does. He can. For each and every one of us, we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. But if we do that, that's quite a deliberate statement. That is a, it's not just a a acknowledgement of how, um, how a God of this magnitude has the ability to focus on each and every one of the the seven or eight billion people in the world, which in itself is, is mind boggling. But it's a conscious statement as well in the sense that it puts the onus on us. The Lord is my shepherd. What we're saying there when when we read those words, when we repeat those words, is that I'm making a choice. I'm making a choice to follow the Lord. 
in 1 John chapter 2, we read the instruction, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So in other words, we cannot serve two masters. Jesus said that. We cannot serve two masters. To say, the Lord's my shepherd, and then do nothing about it, make no conscious act to follow him, it means it's an empty statement. It renders the whole psalm meaningless. If the Lord is truly our shepherd, then we do something about it. We recognise our need for God. And then we recognise that he can address those needs in a way that no other can. 1 John goes on, The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The world and its desires pass away. Everything around us is temporary. It won't be long before the trees behind me begin to lose their leaves and autumn kicks in and then there's winter and everything is bare and the flowers around us have died away. I don't want to depress you, but it won't be long till that starts happening. It happens every year. But more so, everything in the world around us is temporary. Be it, be it a status symbol, be it material goods, be it last year's bonus, it's probably gone already. Be it the, the holiday that you've gone on last year. Who knows when we'll be able to do that sort of thing again. This year served to remind us that everything in the world is temporary. There is nothing that we can absolutely rely on other than God. And so I urge you, when you read or when you say out loud, the Lord is my shepherd, don't just pay lip service to scripture, but do something about it. If there's any other master in your life, if there's anything else that, that takes your attention and your time away from God, if there's anything that means that, that days or weeks can go by without you spending time in the presence of God, without you pausing and praying and reading scripture and meditating on that scripture and exploring what it means for you and asking God to, to make a difference in your life, to help in difficult situations, if there's anything in your life that stops you being able to do that, then I'm sorry, but that thing is more important to you than God. Is the Lord your shepherd? It's a question that we should dwell on. It's a question that we should do some soul searching to make sure that when we say that statement, it is an assured statement of truth. The second verse goes on. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Only God can restore our souls. For many of us, we don't even feel a need to have our, our souls restored. But you see, we all need this restoration. We all need to acknowledge God. We all need to have this spiritual nourishment that can only come from a relationship with him. When we look around us, when we look around creation, we see so much evidence for God. 
Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuses. And yet, Paul goes on to say, we've made excuse after excuse to deny the existence of God. When we look around the, the balance of nature, the way that creation is so, so finely poised, there are so many intricate relationships between different species, different, different animals, different plants. And then we look at space and we look at the, how finely poised the forces of, of gravity are that hold, hold the whole solar system, the whole universe, the whole galaxy in place. Everything is so intricate that when we look at creation, when we look at the world around us and beyond, yes, science offers a lot of good explanations for things. Science is great. Science has helped us to understand our faith and develop our relationship with God. We should, we should look to science for some answers, but we shouldn't look to science to prove that God isn't there. Because it never will. It never can. Because all the evidence of creation, the best explanations come up for creation, is that there is an intelligent creator. There is one who put all this here that it is not simply an accident. Some atoms collided billions of years ago and by luck we're here today. Surely it takes more faith to believe that than it does to believe in an intelligent creator that we call God. So Paul begins this argument in Romans and he talks about how, how humankind have made excuse after excuse to justify their turning away from God. He says in chapter 1, verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who, should, who is forever praised. So how many of us do that? We worship created things rather than a creator. We'd rather spend time enjoying the things that God's given us than spend time enjoying him. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying the things that God's given us. But there is something wrong in not dwelling in the presence of God, in not spending time with God. As the psalm says, he restores my soul. If I'm hungry, I eat. If I'm thirsty, I drink. If I'm cold, I put some clothes on. If I have a, a need that I can feel, I address it. But spiritually, we can't always feel a need. Spiritually, we don't always recognise our, our inner self breaking down and, and losing any kind of, of, of depth. If we dwell in the presence of God, our soul is nourished, our spirituality is grown, and we become a more rounded individual. We need someone who will restore our soul. Paul explains this restoration process and how it works. He says in chapter 3, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, 
and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Now, atonement means God sent Jesus to die for us, to pay the price for our sin, to, to balance, the, balance the scales. We'd, we'd sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned and suddenly the scales were completely out of kilter and God said, no, I, I don't want that because while the scales look like this, we cannot be restored together. We cannot be reconciled. Mankind cannot enter into the heavenly realm. That relationship just cannot be there. And so God sent his son Jesus to die for us on the cross. And the significance of Jesus' death is so much greater than any sin we can ever commit. That what's in these scales, it gets taken away. And Jesus redresses the balance in favour of us having a relationship with our father. So God restores our soul by sending his son into the world. The psalm goes on. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I don't know about you, but I need a guide from time to time. I find myself going down routes I shouldn't go down, losing opportunities, missing, missing chances to, um, to develop my relationship with God missing chances to share my faith. I find that when I look back at life, it's very easy to focus on all the mistakes that I've made, but I see also the number of times that God's intervened. I didn't recognise it when it happened, but as I reflect back on, on the journey that I've been on personally, I see many, many times that there has been one guiding me to the point where I am in life today. Many times I've needed a shove in the right direction, or maybe a, an encouragement, or maybe a chastisement to make sure that I've kept on, on the path that God had planned for me, or at least as close to it as I could be. God guides us in many ways. He guides us away from sin. He desperately wants us to avoid the traps and the pitfalls that sin sets up for us. I was having a conversation with someone last week and we got onto the subject of evil. And I was asked, do you believe in, in evil? And I said, well, I, yeah, I have to. If you, if you believe in a greater good, then why do you need a greater good if there's not a, a greater evil? You, you, if you believe in one, you, you have to believe in the other. Plus, scripture talks about it. So, yes, I do. But I also believe that Evil presents itself in many ways. Sometimes it's a great big obvious temptation. Sometimes it's one that you, you know straight away, this is wrong. This is, this is a spiritually unhealthy for me and therefore I'm not going to go there. Or if I do, there's going to be consequences. But other times, other times, evil works in very subtle ways very subtle ways, slowly but surely leaving a trail of breadcrumbs to take us off that path that God wants us to stay on. As soon as we begin to follow those breadcrumbs, as soon as we think, well, I know that the end of that path is, is evil and it's going to be bad for me, 
I know this path will lead to destruction, but I'm just going to take the first couple of steps and then I'll come back. As soon as we think that we've got that level of control, we fool ourselves. What we're saying is, I don't need to follow God's guidance. I'm going to, I'm going to follow my own. I'm going to go off on this little tangent, just explore it, and then I'll come back. But God guides us in paths of righteousness. He also guides us to his will. He guides us to, to do what he wants us to do for him. If we spend time dwelling with him, then we will find ourselves recognising those trails of breadcrumbs that take us onto the wrong path, but also, maybe more importantly, recognising what it is that he wants us to do. In Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Well, hundreds of years before, Dave, before Jesus said those words, David wrote, he guides me in paths of righteousness. So if we, if we want to know the righteousness of God, if we want to walk humbly and justly in his presence, then we need to follow the path that he has planned for us. And the only way that we can do that, the only way that we can follow his guidance is if we, if we speak to our guide on a regular basis. It's a bit like having a map in, and compass in our pocket and going out into the mountains and thinking, well, I've got a map and compass in my pocket, I'll be fine. And before you know it, you're hopelessly lost and the weather's closed in and you don't know where you are. And it's because you haven't bothered consulting your map and compass. You've got it in your pocket, but what use is it in your pocket? If, you, if you're using a map and compass to navigate, you have, them, you have them set out in front of you all the time. You don't pack it away because it's so easy to go slightly off track just by one or two degrees. And before you know it, five miles further on, your paths are a long way apart. You're miles away from where you should be. If you've got a map and compass and you don't know where you're going, you don't know how to navigate the path ahead, you use it all the time. Every step of the way, you're making sure that you're not veering off the path you should be on. In the same way, as we go through life, we should be consulting God's word. We should be praying. We should be asking for his guidance, for his intervention on a daily basis, as frequently as we possibly can. And that involves the discipline of making time to be with him to spend time in his presence so that we can recognise and obediently follow his guidance. The psalm goes on. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, for your rod and staff, they comfort me. It's important as we go through life to remember that God is there with us. We can be walking through the darkest of times. We can be stumbling blindly along in those times. We can be, we can be holding our hands out in front of us not knowing whether we're about to walk off a cliff edge or into a swamp. We have no idea. But at those times, we've got a guide, if we choose to consult him. And that guide is God. When David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He doesn't say, 
because I'm a good soldier and I've killed so many Philistines that nothing in the world scares me. Did you see what I did to that, that big bloke? Goliath, did you see that? Yeah, I did him. Yeah, so I don't, I'm not afraid. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So what? Bring it on. I can do it. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. David is aware of his own mortality, of his own failings. So he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. David knows full well that it was God who brought him through the encounter with Goliath, that it was God who helped him on the battlefield countless times when they were facing down different enemies. It was God. It wasn't David's strength. It wasn't David's ability to, to be a good soldier. It was David's faith in God that got him through those times. And sometimes, of course, when we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, we find it difficult to spend time with God. It's, it's strange, but when we need him most, that's when we find we see least point in spending time with him. That's when it's the hardest for us to stop and to be with him. Because that's when the doubt kicks in. That's when we start thinking, oh, I'm not even convinced you're there anymore. I used to be when times were good, but suddenly the world's closing in on me. Suddenly I'm, I'm losing, I'm losing the confidence in you that I once had. That might be driven by loss, it might be driven by... Um, by some sort of downturn in fortune. It might be driven by a relationship turning sour. It might be driven by not getting the promotion at work. It might be driven by any number of factors. And we can dwell on our faith and think, what's the point? Where's God in this? If God's there, why does he let that happen? We don't know how to pray. We don't know how to, to reach out to him. But if we turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Paul offers some advice for this, some encouragement and some reassurance. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We need that help in our weakness. When things are going well for us and we're at our peak, great, we can sail through life. We can pray and we can sing worship songs and we can talk about our faith and it's all good. But sometimes... It's in our weakness that we really need to draw close to the presence of God. Paul says, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. And so at those times when we just think, oh, I'm going to discipline myself here, I don't really want to be doing this. I don't really know how to be doing this. Everything's going bad and I don't feel that God's really got me at the moment. I feel like he's turned his back on me a bit. I don't know how to, how to pray at the moment. Well, in those times, do it anyway. Have the silent meditation where you just say, God, the next 10 minutes, you know what's on my heart. Bring me back to you. Bring me closer to you restore my soul because at the moment it's pretty empty I don't know how to pray but I'm making this time for you if we do that if we find it in us to, to force ourselves to dwell in an uncomfortable place 
the presence of God is sometimes an uncomfortable place to dwell, then scripture says that even when we don't know what to pray for, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us. You see, the Spirit of, the Spirit of God knows what's on our heart, knows what we're thinking. There's nothing we could hide from him. But he wants us to dwell with him anyway. And so at those times, we can trust in scripture. We might not be able to find it in ourselves to, to pray. But we need to spend time in the presence of God because there is another one who is praying for us at those times. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The Spirit intercedes for us, speaks on our behalf, argues our case. When scripture talks about the Spirit interceding for the saints, well that's, that's followers of Christ, that's me and I hope that's you. I hope that the people watching this, that people have made that decision to follow Christ, to accept the Holy Spirit interceding for them in the bad times, for God restoring their soul. All of us will know people for whom that is not a truth and we, we need to be working to try and encourage them to recognise the need for God in their lives. He's a God who is well aware of the pitfalls of life, well aware of the hardships, the difficulties, but is also willing to accept us, even when we're struggling to accept him. Many years ago, um, I was wild camping in North Wales, in Snowdonia. It was a beautiful spot. I was, I was camped up very high in the, in the hills. I could see out to the coast, I could see boats um, on, a, on a beautiful morning. I'd just woken up and you could look out, you could see the, the, the sunlight bouncing off the waves, the boats going out or coming back in. And um, I was admiring, admiring this scene, thinking this is, this is just beautiful. When suddenly there was a noise, it was a thundering of, of, of feet. And I thought, what is that? And I looked over the, the ledge where I was camping and I could see hundreds of sheep making their way down the valley. And I could see at the front end and at the back end, there were sheep dogs who were buzzing around doing these great big loops to keep all the sheep in, in the same area. And they were guiding the sheep down this valley and there was a shepherd right at the back. And he was, um, he was on foot and there was another one at the front on a quad bike. And they were, they were, they were le topping and tailing the group. One of the first sheep to go down the valley, um, led, they were leading the way and they had to cross the, the stream. And it was, it was a, probably about 10 feet wide. It was a, a decent sized stream. And it was made up of a series of waterfalls cascading down the valley. They weren't particularly big waterfalls, but um, each one of them had its own little plunge pool. And some of these plunge pools were five or six feet deep. And at one point, um, a sheep... Um, the shepherds obviously made them cross at a point where um, there wasn't too much depth. They were sort of about three feet deep. And at one point, one of the first sheep took a slightly different route across the stream and walked straight into one of these little plunge pools. And it, it, was, it was deep enough that the sheep was submerged up to, up to its shoulders. Um, so it wasn't fully submerged, but it, it couldn't get itself out. 
The first shepherd saw this and did nothing about it. And I was watching and I thought, wow, that blows the, that blows the whole lost sheep parable out of the water. That's, there's a shepherd who clearly doesn't care about his sheep. He's, he's let that one go. I can't believe it. What's going to happen to it? And so I sat up there and I, I, I did myself some breakfast because there was a lot of sheep coming down this valley. It took quite a long time. I thought, what's going to happen? And this sort of fascination kicked in because this poor sheep was sitting there bleating away and nothing was happening. All the others were just walking past it. No shepherd had come to save it and it was clearly in distress. So after I'd eaten, I made my way down and I sort of sat by the bank of this, this stream watching these sheep go by and, and the, the, eventually the, um, the dogs came and the, the last of the sheep went over and then the shepherd went over. And I said to him, I said to him, that sheep's been in there for about 40 minutes. It's been quite a long time. Um, the first guy saw him go in and just left it. Why is that? And he said, he said, oh, there's always one that does that. He said, one goes in there. We leave it there while all the others are walking across. And it bleats uh, and it's clearly distressed. And it stops all the others from going in there. He said that, that, just, that just stops all the others from going off the path that we know is the safest route through this stream. The shepherd then got his shepherd's crook, his staff, reached down, got it under the sheep's neck and just pulled the sheep out. And the sheep jumped up and went running off, happy as Larry. Now, the reason I tell you that is partly because it's the only time that I've, I've seen a shepherd using their, their, their rod and staff. Um, that was the, the staff that the shepherd carried. But it's more than that. You see, sometimes when we're going through, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we can feel that God's abandoned us. But actually, God's got us there for a reason. God's got us there maybe to serve as an example to others, to stop other people going down the same path. Or maybe it's because we're, we're actually doing good in a, very evil, in a very bad situation, a very dark place. The way that we're reacting is, is inspiring other people. God can use us, whatever our situation. And so even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to fear because God is with us and his rod and staff are there to protect us and to guide us and to keep us safe. The last two verses of the psalm give us a, an image of what it looks like dwelling in the presence of God. This is a, an image of eternity in God's presence that David offers not that he had any inside knowledge, not that he could know what, what it would be like, but he writes these words. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, this psalm conjures up a sense of, of stillness, of silence, of peace, of, of separating ourselves from the busyness of life, the grind of the daily routine. Whether we recognise it or not, each and every one of us need that from time to time. You might find it on a golf course, you might find it on a fishing bank, you might find it sitting at home quietly in front of the, in front of the TV or something. These quiet times 
when we can just momentarily forget the stress of life and instead focus on us. But we need to go a step further and focus on God as well. We need to go a step further and, and as, we're, as we're relaxing, as we're taking time out, as we're looking after ourselves, we need to make sure that we're looking after ourselves spiritually because there are so many people in the world who acknowledge some sort of spirituality, acknowledge some sort of, of inner depth that they can't quite express, but they don't ever do anything to, to nurture it. And therefore they stay childlike in their understanding of themselves, childlike in, their, in the concept of God. More and more people who look into the Christian faith come away having decided that they want to say with truth, the Lord is my shepherd. They've recognised that they need a guide, that they need someone who they can turn to in the good times and the bad times. So I don't know about you, but every now and then I, I need the opportunity to, uh, to turn off my phone, to stop looking at emails, to ignore WhatsApp and messages that come through via other medium, have no interruptions. It's a bit like if you're putting on a bit of weight, you go to a gym or you go out running or cycling, you do something to, to address the issue. Spending time with God is, is a bit like having a spiritual workout. You spiritually reach out to God and you receive nourishment, you receive strength. It's like putting fuel in the tank of a car. If a car's empty, then it can look impressive, it can sound good, you can look at, look at it on paper and it's, it's great, but actually all it does is sit in the garage. We've all got massive potential inside us to be released, to go and do what God wants us to do, to make the world a better place. But so many of us don't ever put fuel in that tank. We don't ever spend time dwelling in the presence of God, being restored in our soul. And so because of that, we are stunted in our spiritual growth. We're wired to explore our spirituality to explore our hidden depths, but so many of us neglect our spiritual self. So many of us just leave it and never ever explore who we are and what God is to us. So I urge you this week, I urge you this month, this year, this lifetime, focus on God as much as you can. Make time. Get in a discipline of setting aside a certain amount of time, maybe when you first wake up or maybe just before you go to bed or, or maybe at another time of the day. I know that we're busy people. We have busy lives. I know that there are bills to pay, that there are deadlines to meet, that there are jobs to be done. Of course there are, but God's given us 24 hours in every day. Can't we carve out a bit of time for him can't we carve out time where he is our sole focus because without him there are no deadlines there are no jobs there are no homes without him there is no life no creation God's given us everything so surely we can dwell in his presence for a certain amount of time each day Jesus spoke about our needing our daily bread when we pray, we should pray, give us today our daily bread. Well, the bread's there, but if we're not going to go to the oven, we're not going to get the benefit. If we focus on God, then not only do we learn about ourselves, but we come to understand God more deeply. It's a form of self-care. We, we, we can be racked by, by guilt or the fear of being seen as, as being, being lazy, 
of sitting there doing nothing, but actually we're spending time with God. That is not doing nothing. That is addressing a deep need in each and every one of us. I'd love to, I'd love to know what you do to connect with God. Maybe if it's not, if it's not too personal, maybe share it on, on, on our Facebook page or, or email me or something like that. It's great to get more and more ideas of how we can, we can, we can dwell in the presence of God, what works for us. Because one day we'll all dwell in God's house forever, like David says at the end of the psalm. That'll be a reality for us. But until then, until we're dwelling there, until all the followers of Jesus Christ have, have, have finished their time in this world and have gone to dwell in the presence of God forever, we need to be disciplined on earth. It might be that you find that through prayer or reading scripture and meditation, you dwell in the presence of God. It might be that you, you light a candle and just focus on that one, that one bright light in a dark room and that helps you focus on God. Or maybe you find God in nature or exercise or building and creating some sort of craft or music or art. Maybe it's being alone or maybe it's being in crowds. But whatever it is, if you feel that spiritual sense of relaxation, that peace that surpasses all understanding, that joy that overwhelming sense of thankfulness and forgiveness and love and grace, then you know that you have dwelt in the presence of God. Just to close with this morning. In Revelation chapter 22, Jesus says, Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. We love a free gift, don't we? We love a special offer. Well, there's no offer more special than this one. There's no gift more free than this. If we dwell in the presence of God, if we take time to know our Creator, to know our Heavenly Father, to know the one who guides us and shepherds us and restores us, just for a short time each day while we're alive on this earth, then we will dwell in his house for eternity. Let's pray. Father God, as we look around us and see the world that you've created, we give thanks for your word and the way that it instructs us to live our lives. We pray that in the coming days and weeks, you will help us to make time to spend with you, to dwell in your presence, to learn what you have in store for us, to appreciate the way that you reveal yourself to us through your creation and through your word. Father, help us to get better at laying down the stresses and pressures of life and instead to meditate in your presence, receiving your Holy Spirit into our lives. Lord, thank you for the beauty of nature, for the beauty that we see all around us every day. Help us to take refuge in that, to allow ourselves to be restored in a world that so often demands that we give, give, give. We know, Lord, that there is one place we can turn to that will simply demand that we lay down our worries put aside our stresses and pressures and instead focus purely on you.
Lord, thank you for the green pastures and the still waters of life that you lead us to and help us to get better at seeking your guidance and recognising when we need to be restored. And Father, thank you also for the promise and the truth that one day we will dwell in your presence forever. So Father, fill us with your spirit this week. Fill us with your peace and fill us with a renewed appreciation of what it means to dwell in your presence, to spend time with you and to come closer to you in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.